It's that time of the week again. You are about to participate in a great adventure. It's that time when the latest episode of Digital Kill the Radio Star drops. Drop? What the hell do you think you're doing? It's time to waste another hour or so with David and Chris. Oh my God! As they spout out more of their worthless music knowledge. I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's time to hear them discuss the music of their youth. It's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. As well as the music of today. Excuse me while I whip this out. So kick back, relax, and have some fun with David and Chris. Who are those guys? Digital Kill the Radio Star starts Come on, quit stalling! Hello everyone and welcome back to the Digital Kill the Radio Star podcast. As always, I am your host David and Chris is... Uh, taking the weekend off he is enjoying the uh, nice weather in memphis this weekend and uh he'll be back with me next week but don't worry i've got two great guests this week for us um i do want to tell you before we get started to follow us on twitter at digital killed and then like our facebook page and subscribe to us on apple podcast and whatever platform you get your uh, podcast from and we appreciate everybody that's been listening and uh, and leaving us reviews that's always great so uh my, one of my guests this week is Ian Rice. You remember him from a couple of years ago. We did a uh, Black Crow's Three Snakes and One Charm episode. And then that led into he and I starting a little venture called State of America, our Black Crow's podcast, which uh, has taken off. And uh, he's a big part of that. So he's back with us. And he's back with us also starting his a new podcast called Classic Wax, where he's kind of going to do what we're about to do today, which... Uh, you know, in the past, Chris doesn't like doing album episodes, so he doesn't have a problem with me asking other people to come on and do these album episodes. Well, Ian is, is, is really good at that and has a very eclectic taste in music. So his first one dropped a couple of weeks ago. It was on Metallica's Load. He's got one coming out soon on Tom Petty's Wildflowers. So that should give you a good idea of where he is musically. He's all over the place. So welcome back, Ian. Hello, sir. How are you? I am well. As if I didn't know. <laughs> I am well. So why don't you tell everybody first where we where we can find Classic Wax? Uh, Classic Wax is on um, SoundCloud, and it can, is now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And it's also on uh, Google Play Podcasts and Stitcher. I've been hard at work getting it on all these platforms. So I appreciate anybody who listened to the first one, and hopefully uh, some folks will join, keep joining in, and we'll get something going there too. And you're on Twitter as well, right? I am on Twitter. Yes, I am at Classic Wax Pod. I'm sorry, you know me. I'm I'm terrible at uh, plugging these things, you know. And uh, uh, Classic Wax Podcast on Facebook, and the email is uh, Classic Wax Podcast at Gmail dot com. Thank you, David. Oh, you're you're so welcome. <laughs> Reminding you're so me. welcome. So, uh, other guest is Steve Gleason, and Steve came in, uh, to mine and Ian's life, I guess you could say, through the uh, State of America podcast, and we had him in his. Uh, uh, friend Seth Miller, who have a great, I mean great, Black Crows cover band, tribute band, 
called the Amorkins. Uh, go, you can go. He'll tell you where you can find them. But they are just fantastic. Like they aren't up there playing. She talks to angels and twice as hard. Well, they do play that, but they're hitting the they're hitting the deep stuff like me and Ian like to hear. You know, tied up and swallowed and stuff like that. So, uh, and Steve has been on our uh, State of America podcast now. I guess technically for three episodes, and uh, he hits a home run every time. He is he is a a, a student of music. He's a great bass player. But better than that, he's our friend. So uh, welcome to uh, Digital Kill, the radio star, Steve Gleason. Thanks, Dave. And yeah, that is most important. Um, these guys do a great job and have been very supportive of um, of my Black Crows uh, tribute band, uh, the Americans. You can check us out on Facebook under Americans or Americans.com if you like that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the beautiful part of these guys is they love music and uh, are very willing to delve deep into all the facets of what's going on in it and all the things that surround it. And if you're listening to this, then you already know that. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're going to get into an album that I've honestly wanted to do since I've started this podcast. I just had to find the right people to do it and the right people to appreciate it. Um, Steve, people have heard from Ian before, so they're kind of familiar with his backstory. Um, why don't you kind of tell people musically what your pedigree is, you know, who got you into music and, and kind of some of your favorite artists? Sure. Um, I was, um, always, my, my parents were always playing music when I was a kid. My father was a singer. Um, my grandfather was, a a guitar player in Benny Millie's, Benny, <laughs> Benny Goodman's touring band. I have, um, a cousin, Casey Crowley, who signed to Atlantic. Um, she toured with like the Lilith Fair and, uh, a bunch of different festivals throughout the 90s, two aunts that are piano teachers, my brother's a singer. So I've always been involved with music. Uh, I grew up, Rush was the first band I was ever really, really into. <clears throat> Exit Stage Left came out when I was in seventh grade, and that was it for me. Uh, I was a metal guy for a long time. Today is the uh, 10th anniversary of Ronnie James Dio's death, uh, which was a crushing blow to me and uh, my childhood. I loved him. Um, and uh, then at some point when I was maybe 18, 19, somebody handed me uh, Let It Bleed from the Rolling Stones. And it didn't leave my tape deck for like two years. And I went on a mission learning and digesting everything I possibly could from the Rolling Stones, from and, and the classic rock era. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm just a consumer of music. I like everything, you know, the most played thing in my iPod, iPod, such an old word. But uh, is uh, Miles Davis kind of blue? Um, I love the dead. I, I follow the Black Crows around. I've seen Dylan, I don't know, 60 or 70 times. Uh, I love the Almond Brothers. I, I like music. So I'll listen to absolutely anything uh, except rap. I'm not a big rap guy. Uh, anything where people play instruments, I'm in. Exactly, exactly. I'm kind of the same way. Uh, rap, eh, it's not for me. And then. Country music. I'm like I'm in the South. Like I'm such an anomaly. I can't stand country music, and and I'm not a hunter. So I mean, I, I stuck out like a sore thumb <laughs> down here. But uh, I, I'm I'm and I listen. To, I listen to like Johnny Cash and stuff like that. But you're never gonna hear me listening to like was it Eric Church? Who that's who Jeff Cease is with, isn't it? Or is it? Um, yep. Yeah, Jeff Cease is with uh, first Black Crows guitar player. So well, anyway, that's cool. Um, this week we're going to talk about one of the most unheralded albums of the uh, the Rolling Stones. Now people like to go to a beggar's bank, blank, oh, excuse me, beggar's banquet, and uh, let it bleed, and go to Exile on Main Street, and say that's the golden era of the Rolling Stones. 
I agree, but they're leaving out the next album, Goat's Head Soup, which I think deserves to be mentioned in that. So this week we're going to talk about Goat's Head Soup. Um, it's an album that I absolutely love. Being a fan of the Black Crows has made me appreciate this album more, and we'll get into that as we get to some of the tracks. But uh, guys, uh, I guess with you, Ian, first, what's uh, kind of your, your impressions of Goat's Head Soup? I... Goat's Head Soup was a weird one for me because I didn't get into Goat's Head Soup till a bit later into my run with the Stones. And it kind of sat weird with me when the first time I listened to it because I, I kind of, once I get into something, I kind of try to follow the the natural progression, you know, do things in order. So going from Exile to this for me, because I was such a, uh, in lo- uh, such a fan of Exile, um, this was it threw me off a little bit, but you know, over the last twenty years, I've really come to love it, and there's so many great songs on it. You know, fantastic album. What about you, Steve? Well, look, I think this is a moody, dark record, um, and you're talking about the golden years. You're talking about the Mick Taylor era, which runs like sixty-eight to seventy-four, and I think this is a, a record that that doesn't get its due because it's got a lot of ballads. There are very few rockers on this record. Um, and it's, uh, it's kind of the end of an era for them. It's the last Jimmy Miller record. Um, it's the last record with Bobby Keys. He stops touring with them for like 16 years after this record. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a weird record. It's really the end of the road for Nicky Hopkins too. I mean, he plays two songs on black and blue, but he's all over the great songs in this record. He's great. Um, so it's, 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 it's a very... It's not the easiest listening record, but once you find this record, you it doesn't leave you. There's a ton to really hang your hat on here. It's a drug record for sure. I agree, <laughs> and, and, and I love the drug era of the Stones. I mean, some people not, mm. might not want to hear that said out loud, but the drug era of the Stones is when they were at their best. Absolutely, Absolutely. at their best. I wish people would hand Aerosmith more drugs, please. <laughs> Get those guys back on coke. Please. Now, now I'll say at least in Aerosmith's defense, I love Pump, and that was yeah, after they they, they they sobered up. But after that, it started getting a little a little funky. I'll give you that. Um, yeah. we're we're both all three of us obviously are massive Black Crows fans, and uh, there's some songs on here that that the Crows have a history with, particularly Silver Train, and then uh, Winter is a song that Rich Robinson would play some on his solo tours, and so. It's it's uh, Silver Train that kind of got me into going back and, and looking at this album, much in the way that Torn and Frey did with Exile on Main Street. Now, I've always been a Stones fan, but in my, and I grew up in a Stones house, but what I mainly listened to was the uh, Hot Rocks double album. So it had a lot of stuff like Mother's Little Helper, which I love all of that. All that's great. But it wasn't until I got into the Stones and the Almond Brothers and, uh, and Widespread Panic that I really started going back to this classic Mitt Taylor era. And if you want to compare some with the Black Crows, it's like the Mark Ford era. People that, that love the band will say this is the best they've ever been. Nothing against Ron Wood. Ron Wood's a great guitar player. Uh, Keith Richards says he may be the greatest pedal steel guitar player in the world. Uh, and, and I love Ron Wood's stuff with the faces and with, with uh, Rod Stewart, all of that. But it was this Mick, Mick Taylor era that just drew everybody in. And in preparing for this... I went back and was watching some of uh, the shows from a couple years ago where they would bring Mick Taylor out for a couple of songs. And it was clear that he blew them away on the stage. I mean, 
like musically. Now I'm not taking anything from Keith's one of the all-time great songwriters, and he's a riff, you know, riff master. He's not the greatest lead guitar player, you know, and very rarely does it. And Mick just would take over on those jams. And so this is a, one of the. There was one more album after this with Mick, right? Um, it's only rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't remember the name of it. So um, Mick added a lot to this, and as we get into the songs, we'll point out some of the songs he really added to. Um, just real quick, your thoughts, Steve and Ian, both of you are musicians, on Mick Taylor as a guitar player. Well, if you don't mind, Ian, I uh, I was at one of those 13 shows uh, in Boston where they brought out Mick Taylor, and he did Sway, Midnight Rambler, and Can't You Hear Me Knocking, and I was, like, beside myself, very <laughs> close to the stage. Is, and I it, mean, is, is there a better three-song run? <laughs> No, I was when they started Sway, I you know, I I started to melt. I was so happy. Um that outro solo is all-time good. Um Mick Taylor's one of those guys in my opinion that's top of the heap as far as phrasing, his ability to find the melody within the line and and capture that one note and bend it in a way that just is an you get an emotional response to it. I really feel like he's the perfect guitar player for that band. Always has been, but, but you know, drugs drove him out. He would have died. He's a hundred percent right. Ian, I mean, you know, I I think he's fantastic, and I agree with what you said, David. I mean, I think he's like the the Mark Ford of the you know the Stones period, and I I I mean, his stuff is unbelievable. I just don't know like what happened to him after that. I mean, he had a few solo records and things, and did stuff, but it, he should have been he should have been up there with some some uh some of the greats that are often you know often over regarded you know what i'm saying and uh he kind of went i know he left the stones and he went to he started a band with uh, jack bruce or went into the jack bruce band and that kind of blew up on the launch pad they never did a record they did some live stuff but you know shame i mean he really if, he really he, he deserves more credit if we're being honest he and mark ford have a lot in common not appreciated yes. as much by the band they go out on their own. Their solo career should have been bigger. The fans, once each of them have left, have always wanted them to come back. You know, um, yep. you know, some correlation between you know Magpie blowing up and like you were talking about the band that he got into afterwards. Um, anyway, so I, I, that just kind of hit me as we were as we were talking about a lot of similarities in that. Well, Goat's Head Soup did come after Exile on Main Street, in which uh, I know we're all three are big fans of that um, album. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody should be. It's one of the. To me, it's a love letter to American music. Um, yes, it, it's just got everything. But it just has just has everything on it. But if you listen to like, especially Mick Jagger, he really poo poos on it a lot. Um, and I'm one of these people with that album. There's certain songs on that album. If you take them away and I listen to it by itself on the radio, that's eh, not that great of a song. But in its totality, if you listen to it all the way through, those songs make sense. Like Sweet Black Angel for me is one of those. A Ventilator Blues is another one. Um, and so they don't really speak that highly of, of that album, which I, I don't understand because it's, it's a top five album of all time for me. Goat's Head Suit was recorded in Jamaica, and it was recorded in Jamaica because they were still in exile from England for all the tax purposes. Um, right. And it was the last one to be, to be produced by Jimmy Miller. And so... Um, we're just what we're going to do is we're just going to go track by track uh, with this, kind of like Ian does on his Classic Wax podcast. 
which I highly recommend. The, the first episode did have some bozo on there talking about Metallica's load, but uh, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'll be having him back. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I, Mr. Steve Gleason will be joining yeah, oh, me uh, in the near future oh, so yeah. for a Grateful Dead uh, chat. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can talk about Europe 72, which is also great and came out, you know, same time period. About the same time. But yeah. Uh, yeah. to your point, David, this is uh, an album that, that does feel like Jamaica a little bit. And I think it's an album that you have to listen to in its in its entirety. I do feel like Exile, Exile's uh, really great, but you know, like I could do without, uh, like you said, Ventilator Blues. I just want to see his face. Some of those songs, I'm like, ah. Eh. But you know, you hear Shine a Light or or Torn and Frayed or Rocks Off, and it's like, how does Jagger not like this record? And uh, in preparing for this, I read a bunch of interviews, and he craps on it constantly. It's really kind of a shock. I think they really don't like the production on it. Um, I also think they were upset that it didn't do well financially, commercially. You know, it only had uh, Tumbling Dice as a hit. Right, right. You which, know? you know, which is, uh, I was reading Keith Richards' book. He said that's his favorite song to play. He says that opening riff is just like, it's, just like, it's so smooth. It's just like butter. Butter, right. <laughs> it is. All right. So Goat's Head Soup kicks off with uh, kind of an ominous song that kind of, in some ways, sets the feel for the rest of the album, Dancing with Mr. D. And we'll throw that one to you first, Steve. Well, I, you know, it's funny you, you say that. I wrote down, uh, you know, first the funky riff. It hangs over the tune like it hangs over the whole record, like like almost like a funeral parlor. It's got that, that kind of uh, feel to it. Uh, it's really an interesting choice to open the record. Um, the first stanza, is it alluding to the devil? Um that's not really uncharted territory for the band. Um, Jagger's maybe alluding to him dancing with, with all kinds of things. Maybe it's drugs. Um, could he be alluding just to death and not the devil? Um, or is, uh, you know, Dionysian uh, kind of existence at that point? I mean, he's all over the globe, and, and he's the most famous person in the world, really, like that that Time magazine cover, right? Or the Life magazine cover. Um he dancing so free uh is he celebrating or is he questioning his hedonistic lifestyle um i'm not sure where to go with that uh in in the lyrical sense i do love i don't love the song i'll say that i do love the descending bass line from mick taylor mick taylor plays a lot of bass on this record bill wyman is really not on the record i don't know if you know the story behind that um yeah he's on there for three tracks uh, his common-law wife, uh, while they were recording it, uh, Astrid, they were in uh, where they were all staying. A guy broke in the house with a machete, told Bill to get under the bed, and then raped his wife while that happened. And uh, he ended up leaving. Um, now, that was like kind of controversial, but um, it, end- it actually did happen. Um, so he's not on a lot of it, uh, but the base work for Taylor on this track is just great. Um, I got to think it's the weakest track to ever open a Stones record, at least in the Taylor era. I mean, the riff is okay, but it doesn't really, it never goes anywhere, right? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure I like it. I I think, I don't like the mix. I think everything sounds kind of buried in the mix in this song. Um, I think Jagger can back off during the guitar solo. He just keeps singing, like, over what Taylor's doing, Um, which you really don't want to do with a guy like Mick Taylor. Let Mick Taylor shine. And Jagger knows this. Um, somebody also needed them to get the, the million dancing, dancing on the outro. Like, let the band play. 
So, like, when I was listening to it, that's what I was thinking about during the track. Ian, what are your thoughts? I, you know, I agree with Steve as far as the outro goes, because, yeah, I was thinking that to myself. I said, this goes on, you know, a couple too many. But I, I, something about this riff, I, I, I can totally appreciate why it seems odd as an opener. To me, if, and, and I don't mean to jump ahead, um, but if this was followed by Heartbreaker, if it was like a one-two punch like that, almost like, if I may... Uh, David, the uh, Southern Harmony Black Curves record with the Sting Me Remedy, like the, the two up front that just kind of come out like that. But it's hard to to say with this record because there's not a lot of rockers on this record, as as Steve had mentioned before. So you can't really put them all up top, you know. But I, I like the riff enough where it 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 carries the song for me. But it is a bit ominous, you know. It is a it's a dark start, you know what I mean. <laughs> It is, and I actually, I actually like the song, except like you said, toward the end, getting so repetitive. But um, I think this is interesting because it signals this isn't Exile Part Two. Um, right. This is this is going to be a dark record. I've always interpreted the dancing with Mr. D is is death. Um, I'm leaving leading this kind of like hedonistic lifestyle. There's drugs involved. There's you know all these different women, and you know, and that's kind of I've always taken it. Um, I, I like it. I don't, it's not my favorite song on the album. Uh, it's funny that you say, Steve, it's the weakest song of the Mick Taylor album era for an opening song. I read that several times in different commentaries when I was studying for this. So, uh, Interesting. A lot, a lot of people uh, agree with you on that. But uh, it's not a bad song. It's just they've done better in this time frame. Well, it's not brown sugar. You know? right. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not rocks off. Right. You know? I mean, what are you going to do? The Stones have 20 million good songs. Um I just feel like this song, and, and Ian, you may be right, I, I, if they had backed it up with, I think Starfucker should open this record, to be yeah. honest. I think it would have it given it an con- entirely different feel. Right. Um, but if it followed, if it came after this, or if this came after Starfucker, I might feel completely different about this, That's true. this, record, uh, this song. That's true. Yes, and I, appreci- I appreciate you using the actual title of that song, too. <laughs> as opposed okay to, to star, star star yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah. it's fine all right no no i mean uh you know because it's it's a it's edited everywhere you know but that's the actual title of that song so yeah. this, the second song is hundred years ago and ian i will get your opinion on that one first i uh i like this song it, it kind of the the uh the um i believe it's a is, is it a clavinet they're playing right at the beginning there um, yep. And yes, I didn't want to. I sound stupid, but <laughs> yep. I it kind of signifies that because that kind of that instrument on this record is is fairly prevalent, and so it, me that it kind of sets sets the actual tone for what this record is kind of going to sound like with that more R and B a little influence in there, and uh, I like that. I like the track. I mean, it's a uh, it's a bit quiet to be in the second spot, but uh, I like I, I like the way uh, um, you know. The, Every instrument kind of gels together on this one. Just a just a good track overall, in Mr. my opinion. Mr. Gleason, well, I, I love the the Billy Preston uh, clavinet to start. I think it's beautiful. I think that's a pretty prevalent instrument in this this time period. I mean, if you think about like Talking Book or you know Stevie right. Wonder's all over using that. Um, this seems like a, a another contemplative song to me. That uh, maybe Jagger's in this kind of headspace of. You know, we've been the biggest band in the world from 68 to 72. That's when they turned into the world's greatest rock and roll band, you know. And uh, who's he talking to when he says, you know, sometimes it's it's wise not to grow up. Um, it, 
there's no Bill Wyman on this track. I think Keith's baseline is is decent. Um, but is this about Marianne Faithful? Is this about the the loss of that relationship? Um, I know she's a full blown junkie by then. Maybe that it's an allusion to that. Um, I think the the Taylor Wawa work in this is is really really excellent. And um, when Billy Preston the 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 breakdown the build out of that breakdown with Billy Preston is delicious. It's wonderful. I think that and uh, the Taylor work on the outro. I mean. You know, it's not sway, but it's it's really, really, it's not winter either. But God, it's good. And uh, this was a song that I that I really didn't like years ago. That upon listening again, I was like, damn, that's a good song. <laughs> this know? is one of the songs that really drew me into this album. Uh, I have here that Jagger actually wrote the song two years earlier, so this would have been around during Exile time. Um, right. It's kind of an ode to growing older, but also like you know, regretting some of the mistakes you've made. I love the fact that we have the back. I love the backing vocals that Keith Richards adds to this, and I have it starts with a funky piano with, and that's Nicky Hopkins on that, and then uh, you kind of get this kind of happy feel to it, and then Billy Preston playing the clavinet, and I have on here the song ends with a nice jam, and um, uh, this is a one of the great unheard played live tracks of theirs, which you know there's a lot of songs from this era that for whatever reason they ignore, and uh, this is one of the standouts on the album for me. Yeah, I read they've only played it twice. They played Is that it right? This, this oh. tour twice, and that was it. Never to be That's heard rare. from again. That's rare. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that leads us to Coming Down Again. I'll take this one first because this is uh, this is one of my all-time favorite Rolling Stone songs. Uh, I have here in my notes, I don't even know where to begin with it. Um, tandem, tandem vocals by uh, Richards and Mick to start. Then Keith sings with a great degree of honesty and vulnerability. And for a long time, I thought this was about drugs, but it's really about Anita Pallenberg and the ending of her relationship with Brian Jones. The song has never been performed live. I have here Nice Bobby Key, Sax Solo. I have on here, this would be a great song for the Black Crows to cover with Rich singing it. But uh, kind of some disturbing lyrics here, and I, I'm going to quote them. Slip my tongue in someone else's pie, tasting better every time. He turned green and tried to make me cry. Being hungry, it ain't no crime. If that's not about Brian Jones, I don't know what is. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Um, what a tough lyric. Uh, again, I'm so glad I was asked to do this because this is one of those songs I was able to reconnect with that I hadn't heard in a long time. And the minute it started, I was like, oh, yeah. It's just gorgeous. Like the Nicky Hopkins piano line and Taylor's bass line are really the centerpiece of, this, of, this, of the intro. Um, Rolling Stone says, you know, the, the song hones in on a, a distinct sense of the regret of this, this party era and a junkie's malaise. Like the whole record feels like this to me. Um, is this a reference to the South of France and Nelcode and, and, and recording exile there? I'm not sure. I mean, Janovich writes in Rocks Off that he thinks this is a bookend to shine a light. When, you know, Jagger sings, uh, when you're late night, when you're, uh, what's the actual line? When you're late night, friends leave you in the cold gray dawn. And here, you know, Richards is, is asking, where are all my friends? You know, so some people think this is an ode to Graham Parsons. He OD'd right around the same time. Um, I think the, the Bobby Key solo I wrote, uh, it's, it's beautiful. Um, Nikki's piano throughout really carries this. Nicky, the one thing about this record, Nicky Hawkins 
is just exquisite through this whole thing. Um, this reminds me of listening to Europe 72 and not really recognizing before how good Keith Godchow is. This is the same kind of thing here for me. Um, the underrated part of this song is the way Charlie slides in and out of this with that start and stop kind of style. God, he adds so much depth to this. And, uh, you know, I said the same thing about Anita Pallenberg. It, it's just so obvious. Maybe it's not true, but it seems very obvious. Ian, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, everything you guys have hit on already is, is, is right on the money. Um, the thing that always struck me about this song, especially going back and listening to it, I, I guess I kind of, you know, time of kind of time has kind of diluted the memory of it a little bit. But this is one of the last times I can remember on record that um, that Keith and Mick harmonize so well, and it's it's very nice in the beginning. There, I, I, one of the most attractive things on this album is that that because uh, their voices always blended well, very well together. You know, of course, Keith's voice, unfortunately deteriorated a bit over time to the point where I, I believe on tour now a lot of backup singers handle his some of his uh higher parts that he used to do in some of the the older songs but uh and they, uh, you know like you said steve the piano is fantastic i mean it's it's something like yourself i i was able to come back to and realize wow this this is this the, the guy doing this you know is is a lot more spot on than i ever picked up on before do you guys feel like they treat the legacy of Brian Jones poorly? Yes. Band? Yes. I've always thought that. I mean, this. I mean, this is kind of a cold-hearted song to write. To be honest with you. It is, and I also feel like the only thing that's ever really focused on, you know, if you do, if they do anything historically with with the with the band, is. Brian's drug use, Brian's instability towards the end and things like that. But that early material, I mean, he had just as much a hand in it as Mick and Keith did as far as I'm concerned. And there would well, be I no stones think, without him. Yeah, I definitely think they they phased him out on purpose. I think yeah. you're 100% right on that, Dave. I think um, they intentionally kind of shit on Brian Jones. So they'll all, people always understand that the main songwriters are, are Jagger Richards. You know, Mick Taylor wrote a couple of songs on this and didn't get credit for it. That's kind of widely out there. I'm sure you read that. Yes. Um, those guys want to be known as the guys who direct those songs. Just like, you know, no different than the Robinson Brothers. Do you think Mark Ford had nothing to do with those records or Steve Gorman? Ask those yeah. guys what their contribution was. Right. You know? Right. This is why Pearl Jam's still all original members except the drummer. Yeah. For, for 28 years or whatever, because they give credit to everybody that's on it. Well, and it's know? how it's how REM stuck around for so long. Everybody got a writing credit. That's yeah. right. You know, I mean, the, Van Halen was the same way too. And you think how, Michael Anthony's contribution versus Ed's, Eddie's. You know what I mean? Like, but they they share that. I always think that's the sign of a more unified band, really, when they share. The Black Sabbath records. All the yeah. original Black Sabbath records are all four of them. You know. Right. Even though that went wrong, but it took a long time for it to go wrong. <laughs> All right, Ian, the next song is Heartbreaker, and from a commercial standpoint, is probably the second most uh, uh, famous song on this album. Um, what's your take on it? Oh, my God. One of the, one of the, in my opinion, greatest songs in the, the entire Stones uh, canon. I love this song. It's just something, this song is gritty. It's really gritty, and it really... To me, it's it's one of their top rockers. I don't I don't think it gets maybe as much attention as, as some of the other, you know, FM radio staples and things like that. But the, the just the groove on this is great. There's like a vibe to it. I like the lyrics. You know, uh, it's it's one of the first times I've ever heard Mick Jagger kind of because he kind of 
you know, by spending time in Studio 54 and things like that, I kind of had a New York City thing happening. This is the first time he ever mentions it in a song. I mean, obviously, it's nothing to do with that aspect of his life. It's it's more of a sad story in this song. But you know, it's 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 kind of to me. This is this is the point where Mick Jagger becomes the Mick Jagger that carries throughout from this point on. It's like kind of a different Mick Jagger. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not really explaining it properly, but he kind of becomes more the uh, socialite Mick Jagger after this. You know what I mean? Steve, what do you think? Well, I think, um, one, the lyrics are what stands out in this tune, right? You have two urban tales um, of heartbreak juxtaposed, right? One is the uh, the kid getting shot, and that's supposedly a real story from something that yeah. happened in Queens that year. And then, you know, a 10-year-old uh, junkie. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's... It's one of those tunes that I really feel like the the Billy Preston influence is gigantic. That wow, 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 that clavinet thing. Right. That's all him. Um, I think that the Mick Taylor Wah stuff is great in this. Um, you know, who doesn't love the Billy Preston intro? It's it's amazing. Uh, I do think that the breakdown in this with the the Mick Taylor solo so tight, the tone on that's excellent. That's probably my favorite part of the song. I th- what I think is interesting about it is, you know, since Street Fighting Man and Gimme Shelter, there really hasn't been a lot of social commentary. I guess Sweet Black Angel had some, but uh, a lot of social commentary on this one. Um, I think it's one of the standout tracks on, on the album. It's one that I would love to hear them play live more. Uh, and I'm like you, that keyboard or clavinet, whatever it is, opening to the song just really uh, just just really makes the song stand out. And you got Keith Richards on bass, so... Uh, I think they did a good job on this one, picking this and this one of the singles. Yeah, and I'd also want would want to throw in there too. The horn part on this is so distinctive; it's such like a that's the hook in the song, really. Part, well, part of, you know, part of the hook to the song is that. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, it's just it's perfect. It needs to be there, you know. I couldn't imagine it without it, you know. And that leads us into kind of the hit from um, from this album, Angie. Uh, I have here easily the biggest single from the album, Rumors. It's about David Bowie's wife or about Angie Dickinson or it's about Keith Richards' daughter. There's a whole litany of people that it could be about. Um, I have here that Richard said he just picked a random name, but then Jagger said his part is about his breakup with Marion Faithful. Uh, it's just a great ballad uh, with Keith on an acoustic guitar. Uh, it's the first appearance of Bill Wyman playing bass on the album. Uh, it reached number one in three countries. And uh, it's a song that I, I really, really love. I love hearing it. I love kind of the tenderness of it. Uh, it's just a great Jagger Richards composition. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, uh, you know, great, great, great song. Uh, it's the hit that the record company didn't want to be the first single. You know, they wanted something upbeat. They got Angie, which was a gigantic hit, so they should have got what they wanted. Um, yeah, I read a bunch of the Angela Bowie stuff. Uh, you know, that was a big thing when I was a kid. That was the supposedly the deal, but clearly not. Um, I think uh, Nicky Hopkins' piano behind it, when it, the guitar is great, but his piano work behind it is just sublime. It's beautiful. And uh, I really feel like Jagger, Jagger's one of these guys, the vocal here is just beautiful, too. And it's he's an underrated vocalist, if you can say that. He's the template for a frontman, the dancing and the you know the the sexual thing, but his work as a vocalist I think is underrated, and I think it shows 
very well here. Again, the Charlie start stop thing. His work on the hi hat here, the closed hi hat is great. Um, I think the strings come in very nicely. Uh, you got to wonder if Keith is singing to his daughter or it's the Marianne Faithful thing. Um, ain't it time we said goodbye or ain't it good to be alive? I'm not sure. It's uh, the juxtaposition. Right. There's a whole lot of that on this record. Um, but I, I love this song. Always have. Ian? All right, guys. So I'm going to uh, pack it in and I'm going to leave because if I say anything right now, it's going to jeopardize our, my friendship with you both. So uh, I actually, uh, I, I, I'm a fan of this song musically. There's something about um, not the quality of the vocals. I don't like the lyrics to this song. I don't know what it is. I don't like the way um, the the when he sings Angie. I don't. It's it's something about it that doesn't it never sat right with me. I never. I think I heard it too many times on the radio too. But musically, this thing is beautiful. The Keith's acoustic is great on this, as you had mentioned, Steve. The piano lilting in the background, such a great musical song it's just i can't get and I, like i said it's not you're absolutely right what you said about about mick jagger being an underrated singer because he is he's known for that pomp and circumstance usually but he has such a gentle quality to his voice a lot of times and he's never also regarded for his falsetto which is not as much on this record but you know later records he hits some really high stuff like emotional rescue and things he's never regarded for that either but it's just i don't know it's just it's it's lyrically I can't get past something on this record. So really, I'm I'm sorry if we uh, if this causes us we have to part ways oh. now. I'll I'll get going. And you don't <laughs> like his phrasing. You don't like the way he sings Angie. Angie? It's it's really it really boils down to the to the Angie part. I, and I, right. I, I can't. It's because the too actual much like Barry Gibb. I I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I wish I could explain. I was dreading this moment of this conversation because <laughs> I knew Shouldn't I was going to be in the minority. Like it, you don't like it. Yeah, you know. that's true. Well, if you go see the Stones, this is probably the only song you're going to hear played live. You may hear Heartbreaker every now and then if they do one of those. Let the yeah. crowd, you know, pick. Um, you know, they pick play Starfucker. I've they? seen them. I've I've been to a show in '97, Bridges to Babylon, where they had it was the internet was kind of new and they had the internet pick, and it was scrolling and you saw all these songs. And I was like, oh my god, oh my god, and it stopped on Starfucker, and I was like, oh, and he's he's like. <laughs> Oh, star, star. I don't know why we don't put it in the set list. They pick it every night, you know? <laughs> See, I, I went on that tour, and I got Faraway Eyes um, oh, off yeah. some girls. That's a good um, one, too, though. Yeah, it was actually, I think he said the first time they played it in forever. But All right, so I purposefully set this up to where the next song, Silver Train, we could let Steve have the first take on it. Oh, man. This is, this is my favorite song on the record. Um, have the Stones ever, ever written a song with a positive view of a woman? Ever. I don't I don't think so. Um, I never knew this was Keith on bass, and I think this is one of the premier Stones bass lines. Oh, man, is it good. Um, the chorus is just outstanding. This is my number one Stones deep cut over Rocks Off, over over anything. My number one Stones deep cut. Um, the, 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 the slide guitar, the Ann Stewart piano, the harmony with Mick and Keith on the chorus is just tremendous. The slide soul is great. This tune is like a train that's gaining steam down the track as it goes. When we build into the, the third verse, and, and Jagger is just ferocious in the vocal where he comes in with the big silver train, um, his harp runs. Jagger, you want to talk about an underrated harmonica player? Mick Jagger's an underrated harmonica player. Um, this is, uh, how is this not a hit? I, I just think I love every part of this tune. I could hear this all day, every day. Ian? 
I 100% agree with you, Steve. This is, uh, again, for me, this is probably my favorite of the obscure Stones tunes. And uh, I got, I, I admittedly got into this because this was performed on um, what is perhaps my favorite Black Crows bootleg, which is from December 15th, 1996. It was primarily a set that was 80% covers, as, as you guys, are, I'm sure you know. And uh, I, it, drew, it sent me back to the album. The interesting thing I read about this song is it was recorded or at least the first time it was recorded was in sometime in 1970. So I always wondered if it could have fit in on Sticky Fingers, and uh, I ultimately I don't think it, as great as it is, probably wouldn't have fit in there. It was probably why it didn't end up on it. But, uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, th- that was the other thing when I was mentioning uh, Mick's falsetto ability. He's also very underrated as a harmonica player. The guy knows his way around a harp, and he's not shy about it. It was interesting to me in this song, I, I, whether it's intentional or not, both that harmonica part and the slide bit on the guitar have train whistle-like qualities to them. You know, it kind of fits in nicely. I, it's just a it, this song's great, and it's a nice start to the second side. What would have been the second side of the record? I have this as classic seventy Stone Swagger on steroids. Uh, just a great sloppy rock song. So much fun. Uh, the Black Crows are the ones that made me aware of it. Um, and I have a note here that Johnny Winter actually recorded the song before the Stones did, um, which is which is interesting. Which I can see Johnny Winter playing something like this. Um, yeah. th- this would have fit in great on Exile. Um, you put it one of those four, one of the first four songs on there, like after Rocks Off or Rip This Joint or whatever. Uh, just a great song. It's fun to hear the Black Crows play it. They do a great job on it, and. Uh, I, Steve, you know, you're always talking about it. You told me earlier about how much of a, you love the bass line on it. So I, I was interested to know if you realized that was Keith playing it or not, because I didn't figure that I, out until it, we were researching. Until I looked it up, I didn't. I really, I didn't know. And it's it's super complicated. It's not it's not an easy line at all. It's great. And it moves the entire song. I, You know, I really feel like if you took You Gotta Move off of, uh, off of Sticky Fingers, this would fit in very nicely for me. Yeah. You know, I can see or that. wild horses. I somehow I don't like wild horses. Mm. I know. I, yeah. <laughs> Some people don't like Angie. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. <laughs> Those ridiculous people. Yeah, <laughs> it happens. All right. It happens. So the next track is "Hide Your Love." Ian, what's your take on that? I like this one. Um, again, staying. It kind of. It, it follows a nice. It's a nice follow-up to Silver Train, I think. And I kind of like them in tandem. Uh, and, and this is a song, honestly, um, I kind of forget about um, until I go back to the album. It doesn't, it, when I think, you know, when I'm pulling Stone songs off the top of my head, it doesn't, isn't necessarily at the forefront. But I, I think it's a great, great tune and one of, one of the real strengths of this album and really kind of showcases a lot of what this album is about. I don't know, I mean, I could be in the minority on saying that, though. Steve, what are your thoughts? Well, I uh, so I, I do like the Jagger piano to start, right? You can you can tell this this clearly is in Hopkins. Um, I don't love the Richards bass line in it. I, I think he should have turned it over. I, I the, for me, the, I don't love this tune. I feel like it's a more upbeat version of "You Got to Move." It feels like a jam that that they kind of decided to record. The the Taylor's the two things about this that are great are the Taylor solos are great. The first one up front, he's so fluid. I love the way he phrases. And when they get to the second, the second solo, it's almost like a call and response between Jagger and Taylor. 
Um, but this song almost, to me, seems unfinished. Like it was going to be something else, and they were like, oh, let's just put it on there. You know? I agree. It has its moments for me, but it's one of two songs on here that I would leave off if I were doing the album uh, and maybe put on some of that stuff that actually made Tattoo You. Uh, like, uh, what was it, Waiting on a Friend and Tops were both, uh, were both songs that could have been on here. Um, it starts off slow. I mean, it kind of grows toward the end, but um, it's it's one that I, I don't have strong feelings either way, to be honest with you. I'm with you on that. So, I, uh, yeah, if you put a waiting in a friend right here, yeah, you got be, something. I, be, yeah, you really do. Is it I, I, just that you mentioned that, Steve? Like, isn't that amazing that that was a that song "Waiting on a Friend" was an amazing, amazingly big hit for the Rolling Stones, and it was yeah. a throwaway off this album. That's unbelievable to me. Remind you of well, another like, start, band we start, like start, to listen uh, to? Well, say, say again. Does that remind? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Steve. No, Steve, you go ahead. Start Me Up was a uh, a reggae tune throughout the 70s that yes. they only recorded in 81. That that take is the only take of it that isn't a reggae take. Interesting. That I didn't right? know that. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And yes, yes, David, it does remind me of another band we know, yes. <laughs> All right, Let's so, not get started. So that leads, <laughs> that leads us to a song called Winter, which is one of my favorite Rolling Stone songs. Uh, and it's a song that, Rich, that Keith Richards is nowhere to be found on this one that um, started I think in the studio by Jack Jagger strumming some chords and Mick Taylor added a whole lot to the song there is a vulnerability to this song and a tenderness that just really draws me in every time I think it's one of Jagger's best attempts at conveying emotion through a song and it's one that uh, Rich Robinson plays in his solo band and this is in his wheelhouse and he nails it uh, this is probably a top 15 Rolling Stone song for me I, uh... This is one of those songs. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Steve. So this is one of those songs that when someone mentions it, you know they're a fan immediately. Suddenly you get credit if you're like, oh, I love winter. It's so melancholy. It, it totally fits the mood of this record. It just fits perfectly. I don't think this would fit on a bunch of the other records. Maybe Exile on the back, but it's just perfect here. It's weird, as you said, not to hear Keith on a song, but I love the, the guitar that Jagger's playing here. And um, I, I think his rhythm work is great. I think Charlie's drum work here is so good. He drives the song, and his, those, those rolls that he, the, into each verse are, are just perfect. It's so much like, like uh, Ringo Starr in that this is not the hardest thing in the world to do, but try and do it, and try and do it in a tasteful way that serves the song. Um, this is recorded in sunny Jamaica, but they, they capture the feeling of winter, right? This is, this is probably the last great ballad of the Mick Taylor era, this song. I can't think of another one after this. Um, you know, his outro solo is just delish here. And the breakdown in the end, right? This is, this is just, um, uh, just as romantic as it gets. It's such a romantic song. Uh, I'm not sure they need the strings, but I do love the song. Ian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I I echo the majority of those sentiments. I, it's funny to me because two of my favorite Stone songs, I found out after you know falling in love with both of them that Mick, uh, Keith Richards is not on either of them, and then it's this one and the other one being Moonlight Mile, and there's actually they're they're very similar in structure in a lot of ways, and they kind of had the same genesis where it started with just the simple chords, 
and they start layering things on top of it. From what I understand, though, this is a um, this was like a, one of the sticking points for Mick Taylor because he wasn't credited on it, and he really has a large contribution to this. You know, I mean, it's credited to Mick and Keith, and Keith's not even on the track. Right. You know, like so. But I agree too that the uh, the strings seem kind of unnecessary, um, just because they kind of pop in at the last minute there and. It, it would have been perfectly fine without them, and it's and it's an album that's kind of devoid of strings. Otherwise, so it's not you know, right. it's kind of a, a sore thumb. But other than that, I mean, it, this is one of the one of the best uh, best again like uh, more obscure tunes I can I can think of. I love it. I love it. Always have. I never heard Rich Robinson do it though. Surprisingly, it's great. Oh yeah, he does a nice version of it. I, we were saying before that. You know, for three Black Crows fans, I really feel like this album is the three snakes and one charm of the uh, Rolling Stones catalog. You know, everyone has their Southern Harmony and everyone has their Amorica, but this one is dark. It's all kinds of, there's all kinds of drugs going on and it's just a little weird, but it has moments of beauty and clarity that the other records might not have as much. I think Moonlight Mile is a great comp for it, though. It's got that same sort of vibe, but I think this is even more fleshed out in a in a guitar sense and lyrically exactly exactly well that leads us to can you hear the music and for me uh, i don't have a lot to say other than this is the throwaway track on the album this is kind of like i think to me this track functions almost like um i just want to see his face on like exile like a kind of but i find that like you had mentioned before, David, like when all those songs are together, they're very important. And this is kind of like a, a, a segue song to me. Like if you separate it out, it's not much of a tune really, but all, you know, overall it belongs on the album. And I, I do like it, but I can understand why you wouldn't and why you, you well, know, and there's think some, it might some not. similarities to, I just want to see his face. Cause they both sound like Mick's got a mouthful of marbles trying to sing. <laughs> which uh, which I, I've never have liked that. Steve, what's your take on it? Um, you know, uh, I fall in line with you. I, I think you know the Poppins piano is kind of the glue here, right? But and he's a huge part of the songs on this record. But this song's such a throwaway for me. You know, I'm not I'm not down with the flute at all. Um, mm, yeah, <laughs> I really am not. I think this is straight filler, and I think you know, put tops right in here. And you're on to something. Exactly. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a fan. We can all not like songs, you know. That's okay. Um, I think Dave, you said once you didn't like. You win again, you know. I, right. I don't know. Right. It's one of these things. Everyone's got songs they don't like, but I think we can all agree this is a uh, the weakest song in this record for sure by far. Well, is that, that, did you really say that about you win again, Dave? I did. I never heard you say that. I did. If I had known that, yeah, things well. would have been very different. Okay? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. The news is out, Dave. Yeah, all I, know. I will yeah. say this though: you say it sounds like Mick Jagger has a mouthful of marbles, but if you didn't have Mick Jagger with a mouthful of marbles, you wouldn't have gotten Jumpin' Jack Flash. That's true. I had to read those lyrics to know what they were. That's true. All right, so that leads us to the most controversial song in the uh, Rolling Stones catalog, uh, as it's printed on the album. It's called "Star Star." Um, boy, I don't even know where to begin on this one. Um, there's some thoughts that it references Carly Simon at some point uh, after she had married uh, James Taylor. She even referenced some of the lyrics in "You're So Vain." Um, uh, as 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 rock songs go in the '70s, this was kind of as raunchy as it gets. Um, 
I do have here for Steve that uh, Bill Wyman's bass doesn't start until the second verse, which I thought was interesting. But uh, this is I a fun. That as well. This is a fun one to hear live, and uh, almost a prelude to kind of where they were going to go with some of this like faux disco slash punk uh, stuff on like some girls. Uh, it had some elements of that, but uh, this is a crowd pleaser whenever it's uh, whenever it's performed. So, well, Steve, uh, what's your thoughts on it? Well, yeah, Armin Ernigan made them change the name. It was Starfucker. Right. Um, see, I, I think about it musically a little bit different. I feel like this is a straight Chuck Berry tune. Really? You know, I feel like it just just straight Chuck Berry. Um, this was my favorite for a long time when I was young. You know. But and I do I wrote down I, I love how the bass doesn't come in until the second verse. I think you build a little tension that way, much like the Black Crows and Gone. Mm-hmm. That bass doesn't come in for like a minute and thirty seconds. Same deal here. Um, and who who on their best day doesn't like groupies? You know, right, right. <laughs> and that's uh, this is a groupie celebration song. You know, Keith solo is gold here. It's not super fast. It's not there's not a million notes, but it's gold. Um, just very Chuck Berry. Uh, you know, I read that uh, that John Wayne objected, and Steve McQueen didn't, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. Um, this is the ultimate in how far can you push the envelope, really? I mean, is this worse than some girls? Uh, I don't know. Again, I, I think that uh, Jagger's vocal at the end here, especially, is absolutely ferocious. But to your point, some of these lyrics don't come across that well. That thing about your tongue under the hood—is it hook or hood? Because I've read it both ways. Right. It sounds like you're going to get your tongue under his hood to me. Right, right. If you look up the lyrics, it says something about a hook in his toe. I don't know. Yeah. Ian, what are your thoughts? I, 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 I keep echoing Steve's sentiments on a lot of things, so I'm going to sound like the, yeah, me too guy, you know? <laughs> I think it's uh, – it very Chuck Berry. That was my first thought of it. That opening riff is like, oh yeah, that's uh, you know that's the Chuck Berry standard. And of course, Keith is very influenced by Chuck Berry, um, even after he punched him in the face. If you've heard that story, but uh, I, I think it's a it's a it's a great tune. The only thing for me, this song is um, it doesn't fit into the album as much as as the it just it's a different vibe than the other it's songs. It's too lighthearted. It's not even. It's just, it's it's even like even though it's a rocker and there's other rockers on the album, <laughs> the style of this one is out of character with the others. I mean, which doesn't make it a bad song at all. Just for me, it kind of is a. It sticks out a bit. Um, the tone. It's a, it's a, the tone of the guitar yeah. is different yes. than every other song. Like this would fit in great on Black and Blue. Perfect. You know. Yes, absolutely. It just. It just I agree with you. <coughs> I love this song. I do. Tricks with fruit. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is this is just the greatest. You know, I heard about and, your Polaroids. This is just the greatest it, groupie song of all. This and, is better than Christine Sixteen or any of those tunes. And Ian, this Ian, is this is the zenith. Ian mentioned uh, it was a Me Too song. This would not survive in the Me Too era. Nope. Oh. That are kind of you know they're that are accepted in society and you know Mick Jagger. You know he's kind of thought of being this you know really kind of you know into this. Uh, you know, artsy fartsy stuff. You know, he's really high up there, high society. And you know, Keith, I don't think is comfortable with any of that or whatever. But they have so many songs that if people sat and actually analyzed the lyrics, I feel like Mick would not be in the circles yeah. that he's in right now. No, yeah, brown sugar is is highly offensive if you think about it. You I mean, could never get that out now. No, <laughs> that might not go over so well these days. Uh, there's a million of those things. I mean. 
you know, that has all the groupie scenes, and that's that's with Bobby Keys and Keith Richards with a bunch of naked girls and drugs, and you know, I mean, they were full on in it. Is know? that the but is that the is that the one where Richards is like pass out passes out in like the locker room? Yep. Yeah, that's 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 kind of a disturbing a disturbing thing, but. 1972, baby. That was you know? that was Keith Richards and, and the Rolling Stones in in the mid 70s. Well, guys, look, this was a uh, this was a lot of fun. Uh, this actually is probably one of my favorite ones that I've done. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a great album, and uh, if you want to hear more great albums discussed, Ian has the Classic Wax podcast, which uh, you can find and listen to. Uh, Ian, the next one's on Wildflowers, and then what's after that? Next one's on Wildflowers. I also have um, an episode coming up. Uh, unfortunately, timing-wise, it didn't make it for um, Stevie's 70th birthday, as was intended. But I did. A, I actually did an episode with um, with uh, Steve's friend from the Americans, fellow bandmate, uh, Seth Miller. And we did Stevie Wonder's Intervisions. That's coming up. Uh, we got one on Van Halen's Fair Warning. Okay, you know we're trying to I'm trying to run the gamut here and get a bunch of different styles. So hopefully people enjoy it. I know I picked a controversial one in Metallica's Load to to start with, but uh, hey, I went for it, you know. <laughs> and Steve, the Amorkins are having a let's see when I release this, this the Amorkins are having a watch party tonight. We are. We're putting out a video. We played at Daryl's house in New York, and uh, we're putting out a video of us. Uh, Combining uh, twice as hard with my morning song um, into one song. Uh, it's maybe 10, 12 minutes of uh, sheer joy. We love doing it. <laughs> and by Daryl's house, he means Daryl Hall of Hall & Oates. Yeah, he is a, a venue in upstate New York. You might have seen the TV show. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool when we went in there. We saw our, uh, we put our sticker right next to uh, Cheap Trick's uh, signature. Oh, that's uh, cool. And, and, and Piddle's, uh, Puddle's Pity Party. <laughs> you know, he's a great singer, by the way. If you haven't seen his stuff, he's amazing. Well, guys, uh, this was a lot of fun. I've been, like I said, I've been wanting to do this one for a couple of years, but I wanted to find the right combo to do it, and I, I think uh, I think I have found that. Uh, we may be on to something here. Uh, Ian, uh, classic wax um, is going to be great. I can't wait to hear wildflowers with our, our friend Dave on there. It's going to be good, yes. and then. Uh, at some point, Steve's gonna do Europe '72. I know, and then I know you've got a Nirvana episode in the in the already yes. recorded. So um, yeah, if you, if you like this type of podcast, uh, give Classic Wax a uh, a try. And to play us Thank out you. this week, I'm gonna throw it to Steve. He's gonna tell us what he wants to hear on the way out. Here comes everybody's favorite Silver Train. All right, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening to Digital Kill the Radio Star this week. And we'll be back with Chris and I'll be back with you next week. And here is Silver Train. Mm-hmm.